Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Obligatory Kiana reference. This whole episode is an obligatory Kiana reference. You're welcome. So God and the devil made a wager and Keanu Reeves is involved. So this is where the elixir of youth comes from. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 26. This is an episode about Constantine and truth be told I've been waiting a while for this um, and I didn't want to not do it before the animation season kicks off. So the animation season is coming um, on Christmas Eve, it starts with the official Christmas episode. So I've kind of designated this the unofficial Christmas episode. Um, you can find out what the actual Christmas episode is at the end of this episode, but I'm really excited to be talking about Constantine. I have no news, really, other than a big thank you to everyone who's basically listened to the Stardust episode and has kind of fed back that they really enjoyed the Stardust episode, um, especially those who haven't seen Stardust and have kind of seen it based on my recommendation and some purely based on my recommendation for Robert De Niro because I love Robert De Niro in Stardust. So if you enjoyed the Stardust episode, that's great. If you watch Stardust because of it, then that's also great. Um, and hopefully, if you've not seen Constantine, which you should see Constantine, it's really good. Um, if you haven't, then hopefully you will see Constantine. So I don't really have any news. The one thing that I do want to say is, I want to say a massive thank you, because um, I've got a new patron, and... Um, it's my friend Claudia. So Claudia has been a friend of mine for a few years. She and I kind of bonded several years ago over our love for Star Wars initially. Um, and she is essentially my sister from another mister. We've never met. She lives in Texas. And I've always kind of said one of the things that I really want to do is to be able to travel over to Texas and to meet her one day and her beautiful family. I'm so honoured and touched that she's become a patron of the show. So I just want to say to Claudia, you're amazing and I love you and thank you so much. This episode on Constantine, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit rushed. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it, it just is. I really wanted to get it in. So I'm just like, yeah, 
I'm going to get it in. So it is a little rushed so that it can be released. And then the Christmas episode, as I said, will literally be coming just before Christmas. Um, this is basically the things that I'll do for Keanu Reeves, guys. You know that I would pretty much do anything for that man. And this is proof. So this is Constantine. He's not blonde or from Liverpool, but he is damned to hell. So that's something, right? Here's the trailer for Constantine. Cold. Sure about this? No. <laughs> Mr. Constantine, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I know the circles you travel in, the occult, the exorcisms. Easy there, hero. That's Dragon's Breath. I thought you couldn't get it anymore. Oh, I, uh, <clears throat> I know a guy who knows a guy. I thought that you could at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, okay, sure. Please. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Demons stay in hell. Angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them. They see you. Understand? So, uh, Constantine, occult detective, demon hunter, chain smoker and suicide survivor John Constantine has literally been to hell and back. He knows that when he dies of his aggressive lung cancer, he's got a one-way ticket to Satan's realm unless he can earn enough goodwill to climb God's stairway to heaven. While helping police detective Angela Dodson investigate her identical twin's apparent suicide, Constantine becomes caught up in a supernatural plot involving both demonic and angelic forces attempting to take over our world as we know it. General gist, there's a bit more to it than that, but that's the general gist of Constantine. So the cast of Constantine, obviously we have the one and only Mr Keanu Reeves as John Constantine. We're going to talk about him specifically in a minute. Rachel Weisz, who... If you've listened to my episode on The Mummy or if you've ever been on any of my social medias ever, you will know how much I love Rachel Weisz um, and her character in The Mummy, Evie Carnahan. I love Rachel Weisz in this as well. I don't think Rachel Weisz has done any movie ever that I haven't enjoyed her performances in. So she plays a dual role in this movie of Angela and her twin sister, Isabel Dodson. We have Shia LaBeouf as Chaz Kramer. 
Tilda Swinton as the Archangel Gabriel, Pruitt Taylor Vince as Father Hennessy, Jimon Hunsu as Papa Midnight, Gavin Rossdale as Balthazar, and finally Peter Stormare as Lucifer. So Constantine was directed by Francis Lawrence. It was his feature film debut. Uh, Francis Lawrence went on to helm I Am Legend, the Will Smith interpretation of the Richard Matheson novel. He also directed the final three of the four Hunger Games movies and also Red Sparrow with previous episode Passengers star Jennifer Lawrence. Um, They are no relation to each other. They just happen to work together quite a lot. It was written by Kevin Broadbin and Frank Capello and it was based on John Constantine by Alan Moore, Stephen R. Bissett, Rick Veitch and John Totalbin. So the character of John Constantine first appeared in Swamp Thing Volume 2, number 37, in June 1985. And he got his own series in 1988. It was published by DC Comics. The series was intended to be called Hellraiser, but the title was revised to Hellblazer due to the release of the Clive Barker contemporary horror movie Hellraiser in 1987. By issue 63, which was March 1993, it became a Vertigo Comics title. And I've mentioned Vertigo a couple of times in the past. They kind of took on the more adult themes of the DC comic universe. Um, And Hellblazer was intended to be a supernatural take on living in 1980s Britain. It was initially written by Jamie Delano and drawn by John Ridgway. The character of John Constantine was a blonde-haired Liverpoolian occult detective who did morally questionable things for the greater good. His world was like our world, but magic and the supernatural were also present. The version of John presented in the comic books practiced magic and often achieved his goals through manipulation, misdirection and deceit. Friends of his died in the process and often they came back to haunt John throughout the series. John remained a supporting character in Swamp Thing, um, as well as having regular appearances in other comic book titles, such as Green Lantern, Green Arrow, The Sandman and Lucifer. And obviously with Sandman, we also get our link to Neil Gaiman. Um, As I mentioned in the episode on Stardust, Neil Gaiman did do some writing on the comic book for Constantine. um, And Constantine obviously appeared in Gaiman's works, The Sandman as well. Original Sins was a collection of Hellblazer's first nine issues. It was written by Jamie Delano and published in the late 80s. In 1991, Garth Ennis, who, because you know I like to link, he actually was working on Dread previously and as you know I did an episode on Dread it's episode three I'm very proud of Dread so please go and listen to that Um, so Garth Ennis started writing for Hellblazer and he started with Dangerous Habits which detailed John's diagnosis and acceptance of terminal lung cancer and that six issue series became the biggest selling Vertigo comic at the time and was widely praised Um, the reason I mentioned Original Sins and Dangerous Habits was because the characters and plot from Original Sins and Dangerous Habits were used to form the storyline for this particular movie of Constantine. So how did Constantine get made? Well, in 1997, a guy called Michael Aguilar, I assume that's how you pronounce his name, he left Paramount Pictures to join the Warner Brothers-based production company Donna Shula Donna. That was under producer Lauren Shula Donna. You will definitely have heard of her. Among the projects he was to be involved in developing were the comic book adaptation X-Men, which obviously Lauren Shula Donna is probably most well known for being attached to. That became a box office smash in 2000. And also on the list was an adaptation of Constantine slash Hellblazer. In 1999, uh, music video director Paul Hunter 
was attached to direct Constantine. He left the project in 2001 and he was replaced by Tarsem Singh. Tarsem Singh was to be the director and Nicolas Cage was actually eyed up to play the eponymous occult detective John Constantine. Now, in 2002, Warner Brothers decided to change their tack a little bit. They decided that they wanted five tentpole movies a year with 27 general releases rather than the previously announced 30 movies per year. So they basically wanted to go from a quantity to quality output and their 2004 slate of tentpole movies was lacking. In the meantime, Tarsem Singh, who would basically said he didn't want to work with Nicolas Cage anyway, he left Constantine to direct The Cell, uh, which is a Jennifer Lopez movie, which is actually quite good. And in doing so, resulted in dueling lawsuits from both Singh and Warner Brothers, which were both eventually settled out of court. It was at this point that Keanu Reeves came on board, but they didn't have a director. So... Obviously, they had enticed a music video director before with Paul Hunter and Francis Lawrence also made his name directing music videos. So he was really tempted by the project and he signed on for a 2004 release. The movie was pushed back to 2005 after Warner Brothers realised that their five tentpole movies were already filled. So Constantine became their first tentpole release of 2005, ended up being released that February. And Francis Lawrence and Keanu Reeves, they got on super well. They actually spent the best part of nine months to a year discussing the character of John Constantine. They worked together on the script with Akiva Goldman. And Lawrence is actually on record praising Reeves' dedication to the role. And do you know what? He's actually great. (laughs) And you knew that I wasn't going to say anything else. But as this kind of world-weary, cynical, doesn't-give-an-F version of John Constantine, Keanu basically brings everything necessary. The character of John Constantine really does not care. Um, And as the movie progresses, you find his John starting to have hope. And Keanu pulls off that too. And I think to understand the character of John Constantine, you've got to kind of understand that this is a man at the end of his life. He's still trying to get into heaven, despite the fact that he knows that he can't. Um, He knows he's running out of time. I think Keanu pulls off that kind of exasperation and depression at the kind of state of his life really well. Um, Do you know what? He's perfect. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because it's Keanu Reeves and he's perfect, but he is genuinely great in this role. So Francis Lawrence, he had a vision for this movie and when casting the Archangel Gabriel... Uh, He only had one choice, and that was Tilda Swinton. Um, And originally, the producers were not that keen to hire Tilda Swinton. And they they specifically wanted this androgynous look for the Angel Gabriel. But to be honest, they ended up sort of saying to Lawrence, look, do what you want. Um, And the most part, studio interference was kept at a distance. And they let Lawrence kind of make the movie look and feel how he wanted it to. And that was including the concept of heaven and hell looking like versions of uh, where you are on earth, especially the vision of hell, uh, which is kind of prolific throughout the movie, that hell looks like earth, but it looks like kind of a nuclear affected earth. Um, He kind of wanted to do that to ground the movie and, you know, to kind of feel like you were really there. And he also introduced the concept of the movie's ability to play with time. So the time difference between Earth and Hell, where the time stops in Earth and kind of carries on in Hell. Um, Lawrence even shot the movie to look like a comic book. 
So he uses a lot of shots from above. He uses a lot of Dutch angles. It's a really beautiful looking movie for the most part. And the shots were carefully composited to show relevant items in the background, sort of numbers, props, especially when we're talking about references to things like the devil. They are there in the background. When Isabel Dodson is at the morgue, um, they show 616 on the tag on her foot. And in a lot of places, 616 is the reference to the devil. It's also, I think it's mainly 666, but 616 is also a reference to the devil as well. The Archangel Gabriel being behind the plan to bring about Mammon is interesting um, because you can fully understand the frustrations of Gabriel to see God's acceptance of human flaws and actually come to the conclusion that humans don't deserve the love of God. Human beings are, for the most part, completely selfish. John himself is only saving the souls of others to selfishly be accepted into heaven, something that Gabriel assures him won't ever happen. I don't swear on this podcast, but it's one of the best deliveries of the F word in cinema that Tilda Swinton gives to him. It's brilliant. The movie tries to link Gabriel's plan to the Nazi flag at the beginning. At the very beginning of the film, the Spear of Destiny is wrapped in a Nazi flag. And otherwise, the link to the Nazis isn't shown anywhere else in the movie other than at the start. Um, but I think it's trying to say that this was in this particular universe that the Nazis had a similar plan for the Spear of Destiny to maybe what Gabriel had. And that's why the item was hidden in a Nazi flag. Um, interestingly, I actually read that the, the actual flag that they used in the movie was burned after because they didn't want it to get into the hands of any neo-Nazi parties or anything like that. Now, obviously, this is clearly a movie based around and rooted in Catholicism and the beliefs of Catholics. I am not a Catholic um, and I feel completely uneducated in Catholicism to comment on specifically whether the depiction of the Catholic faith is accurate because I feel like as with most religions there's always interpretations of the faith depending on how devout you are or which parts you personally believe in so I'm going to abstain from talking specifically about religion mainly because I'm not religious and I know faith is a deeply personal thing to a lot of people um, the movie's version of Catholicism um, and the movie's interpretation of the Catholic faith is very specific because it introduces essentially the MacGuffins, so that's the Spear of Destiny, as I mentioned, along with the Archangel Gabriel, as I've mentioned, played to perfection by Tilda Swinton. Um, it also introduces Balthazar, played to whatever the opposite of perfection is by Gavin Rossdale, and also at the end, Lucifer himself, uh, Peter Stormare as well as the concept that Angela believes her twin sister, Isabel, who's a devout Catholic, would never have committed suicide and condemned herself to an eternity in hell. Peter Stormare originally auditioned to play Balthazar, um, but his depiction of Lucifer is widely regarded to be one of the best in modern cinema. And if you're not a Keanu Reeves or a Rachel Weisz fan, the movie is worth watching just for him and Tilda Swinton alone. Even though their screen appearances are relatively short, both of them just really pack a punch. Um, the scene where Lucifer arrives with his feet kind of dripping with tar and it's just glorious. It's just visually so beautiful, which is weird because it's Lucifer. So, as I mentioned, the original character of John Constantine was written by Alan Moore. Now, Alan Moore, as a writer and as a creator, whenever movies are made of his works, he 
never wants his name associated with them because I think he kind of feels that it's never going to be as great as what was originally put on paper. He was exactly the same with Watchmen. And similarly with this, he did not want anything to do with it. So Alan Moore is basically being Alan Moore. Um, He does that a lot. I've already spoken a little bit about Rachel Voice um, and about how much I love her generally. Um, so as I mentioned, she plays two characters. She, The main character she plays is Angela, who's a police detective. And she also plays a secondary role as Isabel, Angela's twin sister. Um, and I've always been kind of fascinated with names, um, and especially like character names, because there's always tends to be a lot of meaning in character names. So the names Angela and Isabel, Isabel actually means pledged to God which is interesting because Isabel dies and goes to hell initially um, and ends up going to heaven at the end. Um, and Angela actually means messenger of God, um, which is also interesting because Angela is kind of the intermediate in the plan to resurrect Mamon, but Angela is also trying to get a message to her sister and trying to help her sister out. So I think the names Angela and Isabel are are really interesting and I think kind of key to the plot as well. Speaking of Angela, um, the scene of the bathtub is probably one of the most horrific in the whole movie. And I think that's purely down to Rachel Weisz because she conveys the horror and the fear in her face once she's submerged in the water and Keanu Reeves is holding her there, in essence, to kind of bring about her psychic abilities. But he ends up essentially drowning her. Um, And... That fear is is just so raw and it really does convey the, the, the sheer terror that this character is feeling. Um, it's a scene that's really hard to watch still um, and filled with tension. Additionally, during the movie and at the end of the movie, Angela and John, they never end up kissing. There's a couple of moments where you think that they will and they never do. And that was intended. And it was intended to basically ramp up this sexual tension between them. And I think it really works because you do genuinely feel that tension. And religious subtext aside, this is also a movie about faith in humanity. And John's faith is restored by his dealings with Angela. And although he does become the hero at the end, it's not really about his journey to heroism. It's more about giving the finger to authority and kind of doing what's right. And I think John kind of succeeds at both, really, especially giving the finger, which he does a lot. (laughs) The movie plays a lot on its horror imagery, such as with the exorcism at the start and the demons infiltrating the Earth realm. And considering the movie's 15 years old, the effects overall really do still hold up, especially the scene of Angela flying through the office block, which was actually a miniature replica of Rachel Voice, which they basically flew through a miniature office set and then they added all of the effects afterwards. So, as I've mentioned, the depiction of John Constantine isn't really what was in the original DC comic stories. So the movie is now kind of seen as a bit of a cult favourite, um, but when it was released, it was effectively demonised, excuse the pun, um, by fans of the comics because they didn't like Keanu in the role. They didn't like his hair colour. They didn't like his accent. Um, the fact that his reason for his damnation was changed and they didn't like the ending. I love the ending. Um, I think what you could argue is that the character of John is changed from this kind of anti-hero to hero through his self-sacrifice. The fact that Lucifer removes his cancer so that he can live um, and so he can mess up again so that Lucifer can 
reclaim his soul that he really wants to do um, is actually kind of really wonderfully against the trope of some benevolent god saving the day. The fact that it's Lucifer himself who, and I use in inverted commas, saves John because he hates him so much. Why would he want him to cross into heaven and he could never have that soul? Um, it's not probably what a fan of the comics would want. But guys, this movie's great. <laughs> it's kind of more of a modern horror noir than anything. Take away the name Constantine or the name John Constantine. And I think people would genuinely love this a lot more. Constantine himself um, has since become officially canonized into the DC Comics universe um, with Keanu's image clearly visible in the Sandman universe presents Hellblazer number one. They explain it as an alternate reality version of Constantine, along with an image of Matt Ryan's character from the TV show Constantine. Um, and that lasted for one season sort of in 2014-2015. Admittedly, um, I only watched the pilot episode of Constantine, the TV show. Um, and I understand that the, the rest of that series is slightly different to that pilot. Um, I realised that that version of Constantine is widely seen to be more faithful to the original character and goes on to feature another hour of her shows, which is great. But Keanu Reeves has been very vocal of his desire to play the character again. And although the movie really wasn't a critical darling, it was a reasonable commercial success. Um, it cost $100 million and it made $230 million worldwide. And nowadays, Keanu is like at the peak of his powers. And with DC struggling somewhat, um, they've had some great movies, but they've also had some very lacklustre ones. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get Keanu to play the role again. And I think having a version of Constantine who's still alive and still fighting the good fight sort of in his 50s, I think would actually be a really interesting take on the character. There are bits in the movie that I'm not keen on. Um, I have mentioned it, but Gavin Rossdale isn't great. <laughs> um, I really don't like his version of Balthazar. Um, generally, though, I think everyone is top game in this movie. Um, and like I say, it looks really good. Um, the scenes in the nightclub uh, in Papa Midnight's Club are beautiful like they're beautiful like red and blue shades very kind of John Wick-esque kind of look very neon um and I don't know if that's kind of an intentional move by the makers of John Wick because obviously they would have seen Constantine first but yeah Gavin Rossdale is probably the lowest point I definitely think they could have got a better Balthazar because he's just not brilliant but it's a really fun movie and do you know what I'm not the only person who likes it because as always I asked for social media thoughts and I asked for social media thoughts for Constantine and I got loads <laughs> and they're all positive so let's go through the social media so over on Twitter at Wulong Talks our friends at Wulong Talks love this movie not one for comic book purists but Keanu's undeniable charisma shines through and Tilda Swinton as the villain is a stroke of genius at Filmbusters Paul said, As a DC fanatic, I really enjoyed this film. Keanu is a great John Constantine. I love the demon design so much and will never forget the brilliant ending when Peter Stormare pulls the tar out of John's lungs. So bloody cool. At Movies Work said, Great film, but hard to watch, as Molly's The Little Diner He Takes Vice to was a staple of mine in LA when I lived there. 
and was torn down. Oh, that's really sad. Uh, at Movie Virgins Pod. Save Keanu film by far. At Cap Tangry said, Love this movie. Keanu is great as Constantine. Tilda Swinton is also fabulous as Gabriel. And Peter Stormare is the best bad guy ever. I would love a sequel. Even though the TV show was more accurate to the comics, this was just as enjoyable and I need more. Agreed. At Kevin the Critic said, I saw it in college, an underrated gem. At Nerds with Friends said, Awesome film. Wish they had made more of these with Keanu. Plus, come on, he gave the devil the middle finger. He really did, and it's brilliant. <laughs> he gives everyone the middle finger. It's awesome. At Simon Exton said, A favourite and a real rare thing that's as good as a movie as it is a TV series and a set of graphic novels and comics. At Trivia Chic said, It was a surprisingly enjoyable film. I wasn't previously aware of this character, but I enjoyed it. His background story and the overall lore were fascinating. Great cast, interesting visuals, one I revisit more often than I expected on first viewing. At Tepidville said, This movie got a lot of hate, but it is and will always remain a favourite of ours. It does make me want to chain smoke, though. Please don't chain smoke, kids. It's bad for you. At Comics in Motion P said, Prefer the TV series, but this movie is a decent watch too. Tilda Swinton does steal the show. At JRSP1978 said, I remember falling in love with Passive on the soundtrack and the real-life Domino being in the flick. At NLE318 said, Right up there with Mad Max Fury Road and the Nice Guys as, check notes, the hell WB, when are y'all going to give us a sequel? Hopefully they will. At Rob Wade Vision. My first notable introduction to the genius of Peter Stormare and a solid adaptation of a comic series I love. And finally, at Luke Solo 73. Solid underrated film. Thanks for the reminder. We'll put it on the holiday rewatch list. Into the light, I command thee. I mean, literally overwhelmingly positive. And whenever I ask for comments, I always expect at least one slightly negative comment. Especially when we're talking about a comic book adaptation, something that the fans really did not get on board with, um, because it is a little bit different. The setting is different. It's obviously not set in the UK. It's set in America. The characters were pretty much all created for the movie, apart from a handful. But people genuinely love this movie. And it really is deserving of your time. And I know I always say that on this podcast that, oh, I watch a movie and I say it's really deserving of your time, but it genuinely is. Over on Instagram, I only had one comment over there and that is Tales of Peck said, Oh yes, I tried to watch this the other day, couldn't get it, but I remember being one of the few people that didn't mind this movie. And I think that's the thing with this movie specifically is I think the first time you watch it, maybe some of it goes over your head a little bit and... And I, and I mean that in the sense that it went over my head a little on the first watch because of not being particularly religious and not really understanding the Catholic kind of viewpoint that's presented in this movie. I, I did kind of struggle a little bit and I do think it's a movie that really bears repeating several times because it's a really great movie. It's got some really great performances. The depiction of hell specifically, it's... I mean, it looks really freaky with all the demons and stuff, but it also looks kind of beautiful. The movie's very dark and it's it's foreboding in its darkness, especially the scenes in LA streets where the lights are going out and the, you can hear the demons coming. It, it, I would never say it's a full-blown horror because I don't like horror movies full stop, but I, I like this because of it's more of like a comic book horror. Um, and genuinely, people love it. I love it. It's really good fun. So I'm going to say, 
add it to your Christmas movie list. <laughs> I realise that sounds ridiculous because literally it's the non-Christmassy of Christmas movies. But if you want to watch something different this Christmas, watch Constantine because I guarantee you're going to enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening <laughs> to this episode on Constantine and I always love to hear people's thoughts. So as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Constantine. Before I announce the next episode, we have a Patreon producer. Her name is Sade. She has her own podcast. It's called Offscreen Babble and it's hosted by Sade and her husband Kyle. And as part of being a Patreon producer, she gets a little ad. So here's a little ad about Offscreen Babble. So I've been listening to Offscreen Babble for a long time. It's basically one of the first podcasts that I started listening to sort of when I went on my little podcast journey and I really love it <laughs> and I realise that that sounds a little disingenuous because this is technically an ad but genuinely I do. Offscreen Babble is absolutely brilliant, um, it's funny, it's jam-packed of content. Sade and Kyle are wonderful together, they have amazing chemistry um, because they're married and married couples tend to have amazing chemistry um, and their podcast is one of the few podcasts that I kind of find gets better every single time the sheer amount of content that they cram in is just mind-blowing like they will cover like five or six things in one episode and it's just like I can barely cover like one thing in two weeks and they do like five things a week it's just it's just crazy I've had the pleasure of Sade on my show I've not had the pleasure of Kyle on my show but I ha have had the pleasure of Sade and I know that Sade is one of the loveliest people you could ever talk to in your entire life and Sade and Kyle have always been so supportive and wonderful and kind to me. Guys, listen to Offscreen Babble. They're really great. Obviously, you can find them in your podcast app, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, they also have a website, offscreenbabble.com and um, they are at Offscreen Babble on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So do the right thing and listen to them. So next episode... As I mentioned, I have a new patron, so I now have four. But then those patrons, Sade, Simon, Hardy, Ella and Claudia, they already know what the next episode is because as a patron, they get to find out. And they've also just found out what the January schedule is. And as I've mentioned, it's animation season. So it's full of wonderful animated movies that are just chef's kiss perfection. The next episode, and as much as I want it to be Keanu-mus, it is actually Christmas. And so you've kind of got to do a Christmas movie. And really, to me, there was only one Christmas movie I ever wanted to kick off the animation season on the podcast. Um, and there aren't actually that many animated Christmas movies out there that are worth covering. There's a few, but not many. This one is one of the best animated Christmas movies ever. It's a family favourite in my family. Um, it's something that I've gifted to my niece and my nephews and they all love it. Um, every one of my friends who I've spoken to and said, I'm doing this movie, they have just been like face filled with joy. So I'm really excited because it's, it's genuinely one of our favourites. It's a collaboration by the always excellent Ardman Animation and Sony Animation. I'm going to be doing Arthur Christmas. Um, and if you haven't heard of Arthur Christmas... I wouldn't be surprised because it is a tiny British movie, but it's a really delightful, fun, beautifully animated story all about Santa's clumsy son, Arthur. Um, I can't wait to talk about Arthur Christmas. 
it's going to be coming, as I said, on Christmas Eve. And I realise there's only a short space of time between Constantine coming out and Arthur Christmas coming out. Um, so I'm, I guess once I finish this, I'm going to be working on Arthur Christmas, guys. Um, but if you haven't seen Arthur Christmas, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. And then once you've watched it with your family, because it is a great family Christmas movie. Um, listen to my podcast episode on it. <laughs> plug, plug. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... <clears throat> God, this is getting long, isn't it? Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, starring the wonderful Rachel Weisz, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers and Stardust. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show like Claudia and the other patrons at patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama. Um, the tiers start at $2 a month and you get some lovely little perks, as I mentioned, such as access to the upcoming schedule. You get a shout out on the next episode and Twitter. And you can basically go all the way up to being like a full producer like Sade. And FYI, my tiers are all Keanu Reeves characters and John Constantine is an option. I'm just putting it out there. You can email me, general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, wherever you leave your reviews. I would really appreciate that. And I have a column at Film Stories magazine. Um, it's an independent British movie magazine and I would love if you would support it. Um, you can subscribe over at filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. You can also purchase one-off copies if you want to. And I'm doing that. I'm also doing work for Film Stories Online. So I do a little weekly thing where I recommend great British movie podcasts. But that is actually having a little break over Christmas. So I think that will start up again second week in January so I won't be doing anything for the next couple of weeks but that will start up again in January so the final thing I guess I have to say is Merry Keanumus everyone bye Movie should know.